Welcome to Female Inner Power, the podcast for women who don't want to choose between work success and life happiness. I'm your host, Nomi Melkyonatan, leadership coach and courage catalyst. Each week, I will share a refreshingly honest conversation about how to trust your intuition, lead from female power in male-dominated spaces, and inspire you to be a more confident force for good in the world. Are you ready? Welcome, welcome to another episode of Female Inner Power. Today's conversation is with Nana Bülow-Metz. I'm super excited about bringing you this conversation. Nana shares, even though... She is working in the fintech industry and has worked in more traditional banks. She talks about the importance of trusting your intuition and what happened when she didn't. She also talks about crying at work, which I cried at work when I was employed and I was about 25 years old. And I remember thinking, I don't ever want to do this again. But I love how Nana describes it and how she found her power in that. In fact, she herself says that part of her leadership success has been driven by her ability to navigate both the masculine and the feminine sides of leadership. Action, structure, analysis, facts, details, solutions, and rational, along with the more feminine traits of creativity, care, emotions, trust, intuition, and collaboration. The first thing that made me want to talk to Nana was how she talked about the difference in pay gap you know we so often hear about how women are paid less and in the episode I asked Nana about that and she shares what she has noticed the male colleagues she has what they do differently they have a very specific simple thing that they do differently and they show up to pay negotiations different as a generalization than us women do so listen to that very practical tip Just a little bit more of Nana's official bio before we dive into the conversation. So Nana is a strategic leader within the financial industry and currently holds the position of head of customer operations at Plio, an operation-based fintech company. I'm really excited to be sharing this conversation about both how to get paid more, how to trust your intuition and how to be okay with the feelings that might mean that you may end up crying at work and how you can still be a powerful leader in the financial industry. If you enjoy this podcast, I would so love it if you would rate and review and follow the podcast. It really does make a huge difference to other women finding it. So rate, review and follow. And let's take a breath. And dive into this conversation with Nana. Welcome, welcome to the Female Inner Power podcast. Welcome, Nana. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you here. And I loved our pre-chat. So before we dive into all the exciting topics, it would be super great just to understand. It says head of first line operations at Clio on your LinkedIn profile. What does that mean? Oh, yeah, that's so fancy. Everything that starts with a head, but then you just know that people are really important, right? Um, so operations in general is like where, where where tasks go to die. Those are where human hands are sitting, where we haven't yet automated it. And first line operations, that's something quite typical in the financial industry. Those are the ones that try to define the risk and try to um, try to take risks also when we deal with, with customers. And Clio is a, is a financial uh, and a company as well so there's a lot of rules about what we can do and what we can't do so i help setting those rules and then i help automating them and if uh, if anything fails then it ends up in the very capable hands of my people um especially around all the onboarding of new customers who wants to be part of the clear universe making sure we keep knowing them make sure we monitor their transactions and if their payments doesn't work then we then we figure out a way to fix it for them um so that's roughly my my job in a nutshell. Got it. And did you, as a young girl, just know, I want to be in finance. I want to work in banks and financial institutions when I grow up. Is that, <laughs> does that how the dream started? Oh, no. I think it's, I, I wanted to be a very veterinarian first, but then I think I saw some very um, 
very explicit videos of, of what that life was like. And I think, oh, that's not for me. And then I went into the world of wanting, dreamt of being an architect, I think. Very visual. And I really loved those parts. I think it was more coincidence that I ended up in this world. Uh, my first job as a student assistant happened to be in the financial industry. And I, I never really left it. Um, but that was pure coincidence. I mean, when you when you start studying and you get your first job, then it's more by luck what you manage to get a job in rather than it's by design. So you weren't thinking like, I want to work for a bank. That's where, where it's at. No, 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 no. I wanted to design. I wanted to be creative. I definitely did not think I was going to be working in corporate life. So you had a job in a bank while you were doing your studies and then mm-hmm. you finished your studies. And then you yeah. went back to this bank or what happened? No, I started I started in a in an investment bank in my early twenties and fifteen, sixteen years ago as a student assistant. Just absolutely loved the vibe there. I thought it gave so much context and so much energy and drive and and they just really I studied law and economics, um and they just really combined a beautiful spot between um doing uh doing the right way uh doing things in the right way but also making money um that was a lot of fun um yeah and then from there my my manager at the time invited me more so i, I almost say dictated was a very nice invitation for me to join there some people were breaking out of this company and and starting a fintech as well and um, a brokerage company and it was just again the financial industry but it was just fun it was fun marrying um risk and reward and control and procedures and you know all of those things were just a lot of fun um yeah so you didn't plan on any of this you just kind of got invited and I was fascinated by you saying it was so fun and it felt so right to be in the investment bank because I maybe it's slightly different also in investment bank in Denmark but the investment banks over here the people I know that worked in banking and particularly when they were young they would be working till two three in the night I'm yeah. assuming that it was maybe not quite like that or maybe no, it was. Not a, but I started as a student assistant. I think that's the part most student assistants, when they have a job, they like archive stuff or they like, they do those low hanging fruits, but there was just so much um, appetite for giving me more things. And that meant for me, it was a really, it was fun having a student job because I was trusted with a lot of fun tasks. Um, and then I think also, got praised a lot I think that always makes the job more fun when you get praised and Mm. had really good complex things compared to where I felt I was in my career so you got praised you had fun you got to do a lot of things your boss left and started yeah yeah oh she was a female boss yes she was Ah. she was was very she's very good at at really really working hard working on the right things but still being very in tune with with sensing what's going on beneath the surface what is it we're not saying but but should be sensing instead Mm. what did you learn from watching her start her own fintech business Mm, what did i learn and follow your dreams and really believe that that you can do this um i think what did i learn more from her was this she was and is so sharp and so successful and she just she was and is very respected by everyone in every place she has been because she's super skilled and she is a very good executor but she really also taught me to look ahead and also to sense what's actually happening here not what are they saying but what what will happen if you do this what will they feel what what's actually going on beneath the surface um and I'm super happy that I had that so early in my career because I, I thought that was the norm, right? I only discovered it wasn't uh, when I had a new manager later on. Um, and I think that's that's the part I really admire her for, her wit always, but her ability to to kind of navigate all these men with big agendas and numbers and performance and income and earnings. And, and she spoke that language just as well as, as she understood how to navigate it. But it sounds like she didn't show up necessarily in the masculine way. It sounds like she brought her Never. feminine qualities to Never. it. Yeah, no. And sometimes also fun to define what is masculine and what is feminine, right? Mm. She is ultra feminine, but she was just 
she could all the numbers, all the facts, all the indisputable parts, um, but very much showing up not as a replica of a man, but as like being all of her. I really, I really appreciated that. Mm. So you were working there at the fintech company, yeah. this new startup, and then what happened in terms of your career? Yeah, so this brokerage firm. Then I um, then I went on to work um, in a large Scandinavian bank, like one of these really traditional, big, heavy, heavy ones, um, specifically in the Nordics here. Um, and I entered that with the mindset of fintech startup, um, get things done, um, not understanding that that's not how big banks work. <laughs> so I got a lot of things done, um, but also um, also fought a lot for it. Felt like felt like battle all the time, right? Because I didn't understand why things didn't move so fast. And had a few kids as well, uh, mm-hmm. two boys. It was also interesting uh, to try to navigate being really good and skilled at work. I, I led a team of really specialists um, in Nordea and then checking out of that universe, being a mom at the same time, how do you navigate that? Um, and then there was this very, started this very cool initiative, something called Change Lab that was about also, um, also in, in, in Nordea where I worked at the time, about really um, empowering people and say, okay, so let's take this one person, let's call her Nana, let's call her transformation leader. And let's give her some some training in how emotions work, how beliefs work, what triggers, and and how to navigate. And let's um let's take a group of people and empower them around a problem. And let's see if we can get Nana and a lot of other great people to coach and um, coach all these experts through a creative process into fixing problems. Um, and that was so interesting because that was, I think, the first time. I worked many places, but one of them was also with the the markets part of Nadia that is very, very traditional also in the old sense. And again, a lot of men. Um, and I worked with the research team that are the ones that sits and, and do a lot of what to invest in basically and why. And they were so numbers driven. Um, like really, that's the core of it. We had this cool idea we wanted to try out and be creative about. And, and I worked. Re- remember sitting there and then we had the this workshop starting the next day and then one of the guys was sick and then they kept um, texting me his temperature is now has 39 point whatever and temperature is now has 39 and then they were like oh he has um 38 degrees temperature now two measurements in a row so he will be there tomorrow and i was like but, but how does he feel <laughs> does he feel ready to go in tomorrow and this was really a good example of how um how things just work differently sometimes. Yeah. And I spent some time trying to be creative with human minds that have not been nurturing the creative side for quite some years, because, you know, when, when you're in banking, there's a lot about um, everything has a cost. Everything takes time. You're always hopelessly behind what you wanted to do. And it's not always a lot of creative thoughts and reflections that time for. That was a, that was a, that was a break in that timeline. And then, um, then I had another actually where I was a student assistant when I first started my career. Um, Sexo Bank reached out to me and and see could I join them. Um, and then I went back there. Mm. Um, so back to your to the place that had hired you in the very first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember there was one of my colleagues in the day that was also, oh, you're going back home. And I think that was really the feeling. I came back to what really felt good and kind of was the foundation for where I, where I started, but now significantly different place, right? I started as a student assistant and now I was um, the head of onboarding uh, in, in a large global financial institution. Um, I think at the time it was 125 people or something uh, that I was leading. So it was quite a shift. And you grew within that role, is that right? Yeah, immensely, immensely. I think we also had a lot of initiatives, but but at the end when I resigned, I think we had a good 500 people in my organization, um, both um, onboarding KYC people, a lot of IT and a lot of consultants as well. So um, within two and a half years, that was really a, an extensive growth. So I want to come back to to all of this leadership piece and, and how you found your power before that. It just so 
after Saxo Bank and when you mm-hmm. left there, then is that mm-hmm. the, into the current job where you are now? Yes. Mm. Yes. So now I'm here. Yeah. And what have you learned about leading? When did you, how old were you when you got your first leadership position? We actually mm. had to lead people. I think I have, I was probably around 25, I think. Yeah. 27, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Did anyone teach you anything about leadership or was that all from watching others around you? It was all watching. It was all role modeling. So it was a small company and it was a good time and a good place. And it felt so scary stepping into it because I never tried it. I had no tools, it felt like at the time, um, but had a really good role model I could look up to. Um, yeah, yeah, that that felt like a big thing. Mm. And how did that change as you kept going and more and more people were sort of in your department and under underneath what people say underneath, but like your Mm -hmm. overall responsibility for how did that leadership? It felt easier and easier. There's something cynical about the more people you add, the further removed you are from the people that are there. Because um, when you have a smaller team, you are directly accountable for, for many people. You're the one who, gets to share with them why they get or does not get a, a promotion or why they get or do not get a salary increase, why it is or is not as high as they planned. You're the one that has to ask them to work extra hours because a project is overdue. And But the higher you get, the less you feel accountable for that in the same way because you're not, I was not the one standing in front of my people. I knew who they were, but I was not the one communicating it to them. Um you know, the higher up you get, there's a pool of money and you get to distribute it and it becomes impersonal mm. the further you are from from the ones on the floor. So in some shape or form, it became easier. Um, it became more strategic decisions and less personal decisions, I think. And how have you found that? How's that been for you? It's been a lot easier, but I think I also really like Maybe it's back to this whole wanting to be an architect uh, background. I really like to design things. Um, I like to do the right things in the right way and do really do it right. Um, so really like being able to zoom out. Um, but I can also really see and have learned that that's the biggest part of, of zooming out is also being able to zoom in on the people you have because they're the ones, I mean, I can dream all the beautiful thoughts I have about change, but it's people who are there. People are the ones who are going to have to carry it through, right? Nothing will change if I'm just standing there with a megaphone saying we need to change. Um, so I found it. I think I found it being easy, intuitive, um, but also other elements. For me, it was it was hard to learn to adjust to this. Um, and I really appreciate it at the same time. But when I entered Saxo Bank, um, one of the key things that SaxoMake is very good at is to acknowledge good performance, to be transparent about that's something that they care about. And I really loved it because it was so transparent, but it was also not a language I was used to speaking. So suddenly I had to convert all of my expertise into something measurable that you could communicate in numbers, in earnings, in savings, in FTEs, full-time employees, um, and that that was quite a shift for me to go from this creative environment where I was a facilitator, I was a transformation leader, I had to coach these executives into becoming creative um, to speak an entirely different language and not really wanting to let go of the creativity, the reflection, the pausing, all of these things, but, but also um, having to learn to succeed. Mm. is that part of that like this sort of then really measuring it and writing it out in performance language is part of that that has stayed with you and it is part of that that you were just really happy to let go of like where where where's your thinking now that you've left that particular organization I I think I will keep it with me forever to be honest I think there's so many um to be successful a lot of beauty in understanding the metrics and and that's something I really learned there. But how I get to them and how I improve, what I do with them, I think I would be a bit more gentle about, or I have been at least. Um, I've been more focused on, um, yeah, a little bit slower pace to getting those metrics, a little bit less harshness around, okay, so I have this result, it's really bad, what do we do about it? 
and to be more curious about why does it look the way it do instead of judging it up front but kind of speak to a lot of different people and understand it more and making sure that they understand the number in the same way as I do it because that was a bit of a shock for me because I didn't speak the language so I didn't always understand how we got to it so I cherish it I will keep it with me but I do a lot to make sure that people are with me on that understanding Mm -hmm. so it's not a foreign language to them it it will also be their language Um, so why go slow if you could go fast? I mean, I, I totally agree with this slower approach, but yeah. what I'd love you to put words to that. I found myself, um, when I've gone fast, thinking that now it was time to put the pedal to the metal and really go fast, I find that I get the results I like on the number side, but it's not um, integrated in the people, meaning mm. the second I stop being the driver for it, it falls apart. Um, so for me, there were a lot of realizations in that things succeeded when I had a lot of it with the pace I had, things succeeded when I paid attention to them, but they fell a bit apart when I didn't. Um, and then reflecting a bit on why does that happen? What, what have I failed since this is happening? Um, I think one of the conclusions I had is I need to have more shoulders lifting it, feeling it, wanting it. Otherwise it will, I will be the spearhead, but there will be no one after that. Um, yeah, change is bigger the more you have uh, being advocates for it. And people are typically advocates if they understand the why. And it's so interesting to hear you say, I need more shoulders to be feeling it, which is not a <laughs> word that often comes out of someone that works in the financial industry. Can no. you say more about how you bring in the feeling? And, and have you ever had yeah. backlash or people sort of like wanting to shut that part of you down have you, as you've been going through your career? <clears throat> I found it, but I think it's more not our, yeah, I've, I've had a few times. I'm, I'm a, when I get frustrated, I have a very, I have a um, big trigger on fairness and what I perceive as being fair and unfair. Um, and I get an inherent fear of rejection also, and also fear of being the rejecter. That's just as bad in my, in my world. Um, and when I, uh, when I f- really feel those buttons being pushed in me, um, I easily start crying um like tears flowing and I think that that has been a bit hard um for some of the men around me in the financial institutions they were like oh they want to fix it and I'm like but I'm okay with this I'm okay I just this is just how my body reacts um but this uncomfortableness around it um I found that that's a lot of men have a really hard time time navigating in and and I had one person also telling me you cannot do that in front of person X. He won't respect you anymore. Um, and I did actually manage to cry in front of person X once. And he just immediately went out and took some some napkins. He was like, Nana, it's perfectly okay. This is why I have them. So it was an imaginary <laughs> problem. <laughs> but this is so fascinating because I cried once at work and I thought like, yeah. I'm never doing that again. That was not a good experience, even yeah. though some of the people in the room were women. No. And so I'd love you to, like, what would you say to in, any woman who has maybe cried at work and has decided I'm never doing that again? Because you've clearly, you never decided mm. not to do it again. It's it's happened again and again. And it's, yeah. Yeah. like it has not Many been times. a problem in your career <laughs> never never and I've, I've also had you know the sobbing ones <gasps> I had to breathe I was um, yeah yeah I was I felt severely backstabbed that one and it was really hard to get over no what would I say I would give them a hug and I would say it's okay to be sad it's okay um and and just own it just have that being part of you if it is part of you, if you react because something, someone was mean to you or something else happened, then, uh, then uh, address that part. But if you are just someone who has feelings in her eyes, um, that's okay. Just own it and do it. And, you know, the more you do it, the less people will judge because they'll just be part of you. And I'm also such a firm believer that someone has to be the role models here. Um, and if we're more that are emotional criers, and let's make sure there's a space where that's okay. And of course, if it's every day, then maybe we should have a look at why we cry every day. Then there's some foundational things that are probably not the way they should be. Um, no, but it's okay to cry. Just own it and be the it's role model. So refreshing to hear you say that. And I'm thinking 
it doesn't sound like at any point it has felt like a weakness or has been taken as a weakness. And I wonder whether, do you think that, do you have like a, a strong inner confidence? I'm wondering yeah. how that is. Yeah, but it's so good you ask because now, I think now I sound very confident around it. But for me, of course, it was a, for many years, I think maybe it's within the last three to five years, I've come a little bit, of, I've come at peace with that. Um, before, I, it, it felt uncontrollable. Why am I crying? Why can't I stop this? This desire to just be normal and, and not not express myself in this way. And um, I spend a lot of energy trying to stop crying. And I think everyone who's had that feeling also knows that the, sometimes you reach this point where you just have to let it out and then it's over. But if you keep putting the lid on, then you'll continue uh, crying a little bit. Um for me, I had a bit of catharsis where I um, went through this transformational leadership um, in Nordea as part of this project we had. But we were a lot of colleagues that um, really shared emotions and, and were okay with that. And I just experienced that um, when I stopped. So in the past, I would uh, start crying and then I would turn away or try to hide it. And then I would go away. So I would probably signal very clearly to everyone I'm super uncomfortable with this please let me be um but as I experienced me crying and not trying to apologize for it I also found that people could receive it in a different way um and that was for me a little bit okay so maybe I shouldn't be so ashamed if if people feel like giving me a hug instead of um judging me then maybe it's an okay response I just want everyone listening to just take a moment and notice that that power that there is in not apologizing for being vulnerable, for feeling your feelings strongly, for yeah. having an emotional reaction to something, not apologizing for it. And and what you're doing in that moment, you're not judging anyone, but actually you stop judging yourself also. Like you stop making it mean yeah. anything. For that part, I judge myself for a million things, but for that <laughs> part, I stop judging. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us more about have there been moments where you felt like, okay, I've totally lost my power or I don't know how to be powerful here. This is the female inner power podcast. And this is about like, how do you find your inner power? When have you, and have some moments where you're like, oh gosh, I lost my power. I think for me, um, for me, it's a lot about when when there's not congruence about what I say or do or when I have expectations are different from what I feel and I don't react to myself. Um, so those those instances where you know you have to you're being expected to do certain things in certain ways and I feel that this is off um, and I don't honor it, then then it's like it's a switch you can turn on and off. Do I feel? Do I reflect? Do I care? Do I have all of these things? And and then I've just become this execution machine that delivered a lot of good stuff. Um, but I also, and was good at it and was praised for it, right? So then you reinforce the behavior. Oh, this is good. This is what everyone wants. Um, but I have had periods where things were very, very busy in almost every place I've been where I would start coming home without energy deflated and now I'd have carry a lot of frustrations with me and and every time I kind of realized that was actually what was happening um I realized it was often because I had a feeling I didn't react to I had a boundary I didn't respect um and I, I closed down I turned off the switch to that side of me and only acted on the other side so the balance wasn't it wasn't good mm-hmm. um and my body feels that I get headaches and I get tired and demotivated, which was really strange because I got praised. I did all the right things in the right way and I got all the right results. I just didn't have myself in it. So your your soul and your intuition and your inner feeling were, were feeling yeah. like this is off. This isn't right. Something was was majorly off or a little bit off. Yeah, but it's more if you, if you only look at numbers right, and you communicate with people who care about earning and those are legitimate things to care about i mean there's nothing wrong with caring about uh, income and cost and all of these things i mean no company few companies are running a charity so it's okay to care about 
But if there is no room to kind of say, oh, this feels a little bit off, if the response is, yeah, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't know yet, but it kind of something feels off. And if that is then shut down, and as you can hear, it's actually, maybe I should just do it in, in present sense instead. I experienced a few times presenting something where the feeling was off and I would articulate something feels off or, and then being met with a demand to explain what. I said, but I don't know. I don't know yet, but something is off. Okay, but then it doesn't exist. Um, I think those are the times where I felt out of tune because clearly I had a feeling and yeah. my intuition is very well developed. I just imagine it's something I haven't yet made tangible enough to communicate to others um, what it actually is. But it's a very trustworthy source. It's so important. And it's something that I, I talk about in the Female in a Power Club, this piece of there is that moment often where our intuition tells us something and we can't mm. yet explain it. And I don't yeah. think however strong your intuition go gets that's not going to go away. There's often that gap where you're like, okay, these other people that are in the rational, logical, more masculine part of their brain Mm -hmm. are like, well, why do you say that? Or how? Or what does that mean? Or give me the numbers. And you're like, I don't have that yet. It's like being in the power of, I don't have that yet. And this is valid. Um, That's okay. yeah. 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 How do you handle that nowadays? So nowadays, um, I come with a disclaimer first so then I explain um I know this is not backed up by numbers yet but I really have this feeling that a b and c is off do any of you share the same do you see the same signs so kind of um so you inquire a, yeah, yeah yeah and I inquire yeah. and start and then if they say the same it's okay but should we should we find the evidence right should we try to figure out what's there and if none of them have them have it then I Sometimes I'm like, okay, but then it's just me. Um, but most times I trust it enough to actually do some deep diving myself. And then I will start looking for the evidence. Mm. Um, I find that when my intuition tells me multiple times that something is off, you know, when you can't just archive that feeling, um, then my brain is wired in such a way that I have to find out what's happening uh, because it cannot be a coincidence. Um, and having having worked with this for say 15 years and having quite a, a speedy career and um, I've been lucky enough to also time after time being able to find the evidence that my intuition was right I just didn't know what to look for at the time so that gives me a bit more confidence in trusting it when it's there um, now I'm also very lucky to work in a company where there's a lot of room for for empathy and for intuition and all of that um, but but I recall my, my days before that I'm and I would throw in this buffer and kind of like a disclaimer, FYI, feelings coming up, unvalidated. <laughs> I like that. And and, and I want to just circle back also to the piece you said before, where you said you've lost your power when you've been delivering, but something felt off and you didn't honor mm. that intuition. When you've been going and, you, and it sounded like sometimes there was a longer period where you just were off yeah. and you were a headache yeah. and you came home yeah. without energy. And I'm sure it had impact on your, your children and, yeah. and your family. How did you bounce back from that? How did you switch out of that when you notice so if someone listening now is like in that place of like, mm-hmm. I've ignored it for so long. I don't even know how to get out of that. Honor it. I think that's the first step. So acknowledge there is something in me that I'm not listening to. Mm. You need to find out what what is it that um, is not adding up to happiness and energy. What is it about my battery level? What what's something is draining me, or something is not being respected for me to feel like this? Because if everything was great, then you would feel great. So something is off. Um, and then I just encourage people to say it out loud to someone they trust. They don't have to do, either start with themselves, but write it down or your partner, whomever you have in your life, because once it leaves your mouth, then that's a reality that's tangible. You have to respect. It's kind of like, I imagine I never did it, but kind of like saying I want to run a marathon, then people will ask you, how's it going with the training, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's a little bit like that. Once it leaves your body, it becomes more of a truth. It becomes something tangible that you then have a choice. Do I do something or do I not? But then you know it's there. Um and I found a lot of things I probably like unhappiness either with leadership or 
colleagues or area of responsibility or that that didn't quite work for me you know once I said it out loud it was unavoidable that I had to do something about it because this this truth is then right in front of you and then there's this hardcore moment where you have to action it that feels really horrible every time no matter how many times you've done it it feels just as Oh, your pulse will increase, you'll be sweaty and lightheaded and it'll be so horrible to go through, but then it's out. And then then I have experienced that then the headache disappears, the energy comes back because that blockage I had is now out. So it's that even if it's acknowledging... not acknowledged. Okay, so even if other people don't acknowledge, it's just yeah, the fact that you've yeah. acknowledged and honored yeah. it within yourself and, yes. and taken yeah. steps yeah. towards it. Yeah. Yeah. Other people, of course, it feels better if people agree, right? That's always nice when when your problems are fixed with you. Um, but for me, it has brought an element of release of me just saying, acknowledging it is actually a problem for me. Because otherwise, I'll just walk around being a bit frustrated, finding signs that will just reinforce this thing. But once I say it out loud, then I say, okay, this is serious. I need to do something. So good. So good. I want to dive in. I mean, there's so many things I'd love to to talk with you about. But one particular thing, which is you've had a very fast and, you know, happy career uh, towards prestigious positions. You've had two kids in the process. Mm-hmm. And we originally also connected around like how women can negotiate better pay there's massive Mm. gaps in women in leadership in uh, what women get paid and that's happening all over the world what did you do differently or what do you think us women need to do differently in terms Mm -hmm. of if we want to have better pay close some of those leadership gaps in terms of what what's there so I think the first thing I wish for us both for younger Nana Um, but also for the women I've been around is to dare to take space around you. It's okay to, to take some space. It's okay to demand leadership and respect and all of that. It's okay. The men are extraordinarily good at all of that, demanding their space, demanding promotions. And, um, and it's okay for us to do that too, even though we're not used to it. So I really wish, and I was not particularly good at that. I've been very fortunate to have, good managers who raised my salary without me asking and who saw me being really good and gave me more responsibility. I've actually been really bad up and until lately in, in demanding my space in this world. Um, but that's what I see everywhere. Women are waiting to be seen. So they over to, overperform, um, over-deliver and hope that that will get recognized so they don't have to ask for it. And once they ask for it, it's often too late. And their demands are too small <laughs> compared to what the men asks for. Um, Can you say more about that? How What happens if, if we yeah. demand too little? Too so, little. so we have a man that every year demands I don't know, 10% more. And then we have a woman that goes and, and performs and performs and performs, maybe better than that man. And then she's like, oh, starts after two years, she will start talking a bit about, oh, I really feel like I could be worth more and, And then uh, the men are being super vocal and this woman is not. So it's very easy to kind of say, yeah, I will evaluate that at the next salary round. And then um, the man will demand more and they will come with alternatives and say, I want this course, I want this thing, I want this phone, I want a woman. They'll just be happy to be seen. And then three years has passed and then the women are like, I really need this race. I really need, uh, I really need those, I don't know, 10, 15%. And in that time, the man has been raised three times in the same period. Um, and the women, then they get it, and then they're really happy, and then the company buys themselves another three years. Um, so I think just this knowledge that men have no shame in doing it, so why should we? <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, but we could t- a shameful thing. <laughs> we could turn it around and going, well, why do we have to? Why isn't it yeah. just acknowledged? Yeah. It's a good I mean, question, but a lot of us will just go like, yeah. I don't want to do that. I just feels icky. I don't want to have to do that. Why? Why don't they just, if if I'm so good, why don't yeah. they just also automatically give the man 10%? Why don't I also just get the 10%? Yeah. I think it's, it's a lot about human nature and there are many parts of human nature in it. So first of all, money is not um, unlimited. So every company has a, a bag of money they get to hand out. 
typically um, to different departments and different teams and different members in there. So those are the practical sides of it, right? Then you have this bag of money that's not as big as you would like it to be. Meaning as a leader, you can't acknowledge every person equally. Um, so if you've been in a good place, Saxo Bank was a good place. They were very good at recording performance, behavior, and attitude, all of these things to make the evaluation easier. But then you have this once a year discussion with people. You have this limited bag of money to distribute to a lot of people. So either you give everyone very little or you give a few a bit more. I, I prefer that solution. Um, and then you have the men being much more vocal around what they expect. Uh, every time I have salary reviews with men, they show up with a number in mind. Women never do that. Wow, really? Such never. a contrast. No, what would you we don't say to the women. So every everyone, <laughs> what, yeah. what do you need to do? Show up with a number yeah. in mind and make it bigger than show they... up with a number. Yeah, and make it a bit bigger than what you think it is because you need to have something to negotiate off. Mm. Um, have a number in mind. Have a when, and you can practice with your partner at home as well, right? So have your partner throw out some numbers and salary increases and and try to sense how do you react when you hear that number? Do you get disappointed or do you get happy? Because even though you might not be very good at putting your own value, you actually know what which number you would be happy to get and which number you would be sad to get. And that you will get a more pinpoint about where do you actually feel your own value is. This is what it is, right? Um, none of us, I mean, I'm not worth the value I'm paid. None, very few of us, once we hit a, a certain leadership, when you look at it like hour for hour, Probably not. It's about the strategic direction, how we're able to coach others. But we all know what feels fair. And that's what it is. It's all about, does it feel fair to me to get paid this number for this work? So have someone throw out some numbers to you and see how do you react to that. And that can help you get a more sense of what is your value. Look, talk to others. What do they get in the same type yeah. of position? Which is one of those interesting things, because I found a lot of women when they suddenly, whatever, sometimes by coincidence, find out what some of the male counterparts are paid. And then they're mm -hmm. like, what? Like, because yeah. the disbelief or they've been part of, I've had yeah. clients come to me and say, hey, we interviewed a man and we interviewed a woman. And the woman was willing to take 30% of what the man was. Yeah. And we probably will hire the man. Or if we hire the woman, we won't give her as much as the man, of even though she no. was as good because she didn't demand it. No. And it's really peculiar, right? So what's happening there? Throughout my career, I have had many, many women. And you don't, when you come in as a leader, that's not the first thing you look at. It's not, are my people being fairly remunerated for the work they do compared to their peers? And in my view, you're lucky if you work in a company where they care about that. So this is often down to the leader to care about that. I have, it's more the, the rule than the exception that women... Um, at least in the financial industries I have been in, uh, get paid 15 to 20% less than the men. Does maternity leave and going off um, and, and coming back, does that have anything to do with it? I know you, so you've, you have two boys, you've been yeah. off twice. Yeah. Did that impact your career negatively in any way? Did that, did Not that make sacrifice? It was hard for me to, but that was more identity-wise, right? To be a mom and wanting to have a career at the same time, that was hard. Um I think not so much, not the fact that you get kids. I don't think that's the part. But you miss windows where these things are discussed and communicated. Um, so again, it's back to the man that does this every year. And if you then skip a few years, then you are behind. Because yeah. most many companies, they do those specific times of years and then you miss the window. Or then you literally come back and then this negotiation starts, uh, annual salary review. And you haven't been there all of the years. And then I bet most women would would feel that I would at least feel, okay, but then I don't push for a salary because I haven't yeah. been there to contribute anything, even though I probably should be because I should even myself out. So I think there's a lot of um, missing the windows more than a punishment of not being there. Yeah, what can we do about that? Because I've had a lot of women say that, hey, I'm pregnant or I'm I'm trying yeah. to get pregnant, so I don't want to push for a pay rise right now. And then mm -hmm. they come back and like you said, okay, I've just been back and I, I don't even know how much I can take on and I'm just navigating being yeah. there for my kids. And and so how, you know, and then like you said, easily two, three, four years go and yeah. then it's like, shit, yeah. like the others are paid yeah. so much more. What happened? 
So if you're pregnant, forget about not wanting to negotiate, right? You will be right there. You will have delivered. You will be very present. Um, just go for it. Claim your worth. And I think it's probably harder in smaller companies than it are in bigger companies. But I think bigger, if you work in bigger banks, bigger companies, or bigger institutions in general, um, say few hundred plus, don't worry about it, right? It really is peanuts compared to the bigger picture of what is being paid. So just, just really sometimes also zoom out a little bit. You're, you're super unique, but you're just like a percentile <laughs> of a lot of people. And, and your tiny increase, big for you, tiny in the overall picture, it's not, it's not going to make this company tilt and go bankrupt, right? It really won't. So fight for it when you have the arguments and we don't owe anyone anything. So if you fight for your worth now and you're pregnant, good for you and you go on maternity leave. Okay. But then you're going to miss a window. So it's a good thing you fought up front and not later. Um, yeah. Just say, like, go for it and try it. What's the worst that can happen, right? No one will fire you for asking for more money. So the worst that can happen in my view is that you make up a view about what you're worth and then you present that view to someone else and it gets rejected and then maybe you are not very happy working there anymore because they don't see the same value in you as you see in yourself. Yeah, maybe that's okay. Maybe they are not seeing the value that you're worth. Maybe others would see it more. And I think that's when I look at where I took jumps in my salary increases. It has never been on the job. It's been in between jobs. So what you fight for at work, those are the incremental. What you do when you change to a different job, that's why you get to reinvent yourself. We're going to have a whole hour talking just about that. <laughs> I think that's another great conversation. Yeah. Before we end, I, I want you just to share. You, you shared with me a piece around how you spoke truth to what it's like to want to pick up your kids and hang out with your kids and what it's like to want to be at the meetings where things happen. Can you yeah. just share the story you yeah, told? It's, me? A, it's such a, such a hard thing about being a woman wanting to be successful and having a career. Um, and this was back in Nordea where I was also part of a small group. They wanted to focus a bit on diversity as well and wanted to talk to a few of the women there that they thought had something interesting to say I guess and and I realized that a lot of the meetings that um, have weight a lot of the important meetings they are often held in the afternoon um, because that's when the, you know all of the regular one-to-ones the scheduled meetings they are during the uh, during the nine to I don't know three four because they're reoccurring they're there and then where do you squeeze in these ad hoc meetings where the important decisions are making you do that in the afternoon and I found myself, um, and I actually shared that also with the leadership there, but I found myself having to decide several times per week, do I go to this meeting with these very important people or hope that I can impress them and they will see more and they want to give me more, right? It's back to giving me, not asking for it, but they need to see me. Um, so do I do that? Or do I go home and pick up my cats and hang out with them? Because it's an either or. If you have that meeting that ends at 5 or ends at 5.30, before you're home, the kids are halfway to bed. And that's a very big sacrifice to ask anyone. Now I'm a woman. That's also many men. I'm so fortunate that my husband, uh, he's, um, he's driving our home. Uh, I keep, he makes the, the lunch pack. He takes them to daycare. He picks them up. He also cooks. I'm, I'm so lucky that he's there for me. So now I'm talking as a woman, but it could also be a man. But so many times a week, I was faced with the choice between what I perceived as career or family. Meaning, I, and I also wasn't fully present anyway, right? So I go to this meeting, feel guilty about not being home with my kids. Or I'm home with my kids, feeling I'm missing out on something important. Um, I remember saying this to, to this quite senior leader in, in, uh, in Nordea at the time, but this goes everywhere. This is just the time I addressed that it. it's everywhere I've been. Um, and he was like, I didn't even think of that, but we could change that tomorrow if we wanted. I was like, yes, you could. And I think this also goes back to many of the important meetings also come with important people that are very senior. When you're very senior, you've worked for some years and your kids are not small anymore. 
So it's not even on their radar that this is a real choice for everyone else that they have to decide. Do I do family or do I do career? Um, and I think there's a lot more unconscious things like that that is going on that we don't even think about because we are in a different phase of our life or we don't articulate it. I mean, I experienced saying that to him and he was like, but let's change it. And I was thinking, why didn't I say it sooner? Because obviously it made sense to him and he wanted to change it fast. I don't know if it ever was changed, but I was happy to see his reaction because it's a small thing, but a big impact. Massive, massively important. Massively important. If people want to connect with you, if they want more Nana, where should they come and find you? (laughs) Always get more Nana. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I check it frequently. So I'm open for for any connections um, and answering more questions if you felt like you missed out. I talk a lot, so I have a lot to share. (laughs) There's a lot more and we'll definitely link to your LinkedIn profile. Um, If you could give one, two or three pieces of final advice to Mm. Any woman out there who wants to be in her power, but she wants to have her feminine quality, she doesn't want to have Mm. to show up and just, you know, be a pretend man. She wants Mm. to be in her feminine as well as having success. What what are the three pieces of advice you would give? You hope what I give. Um, First of all, practice it. It's not a shift that comes from one day to the other. Um, For me, it was a long period of slowly stepping more and more into it. So practice it. Don't expect change overnight, but be a little bit more you every time. Um, Understand that um, intuition, feelings, reflections, pause, all of that is amazing. But there are a million people who doesn't understand that language. So you have to translate it. You have to meet somewhere in the middle where we as women can share or or men can share also their feminine sides in this perspective. and be understood. Otherwise, we're going to be frustrated. So try to see if you can take your intuition and also spice it up with a little bit of the things that everyone else understands that are numbers, performance, money, save, all of those things. See see if you can help translate it a bit and take your place in the sense that you are entirely right to be you and all of you. Um, So dare to step in, dare to say something in the meetings, dare to wear that big dress that you want to wear but doesn't feel corporate enough. Um, Dare to be all of that because someone has to start for the norm to change. Dare to say you have feelings uh, because the more we acknowledge they're there, the easier it will be for the next person to say, you know what, so do I. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time here. Thank you. Welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. And I would love it if you would rate and review the show as it really does help other women to find it more easily. Remember, no matter what's going on around you, it only takes a single breath to start grounding back into your power. So let's take a breath. Feel your power. And go spread the magic.